0: This episode of the CoinWorld Podcast is sponsored by Amos Advantage. Looking to see your collection in greater detail? Check out the wide selection of Carson magnifying products and microscopes available at amosadvantage.com. Count on Carson to bring you truly innovative, high-quality optics at extraordinary value. And count on Amos Advantage for all your coin collecting supply needs. Visit amosadvantage.com to explore our inventory. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B H E R T E L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the Coin World Podcast. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast. With your host, Jeff Stark.
1: As I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks.
0: And Larry
2: Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey.
0: The Coin World Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Coin World Podcast. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And we are delighted today to be. Delving deep into the bullion space, we have an interview with the CEO of American Precious Metals Exchange. You might have heard of the company that goes by AppMex. And uh, of course, we're going to delve into other areas of the hobby as well. The history, the coin world history, get a little trivial, maybe even talk about what we're reading as we do most weeks. Most weeks, we thank you for listening, and we will do that again this time and implore you to subscribe on whatever platform you're using. Uh, we can be here every week because of AmisAdvantage.com, And, of course, uh, if you want to be a sponsor as well, we would uh, love to have you on board
2: yeah definitely and uh, you know i think it's really timely that we we're able to have ken with us here today because of you think back and i mean sooner or later we're going to stop talking about what it was like last year and what the year had effect but the bottom line is the fact that things changed around right around this time last year and things got a little different and one of the topics that happened of course was when the price of gold did what it did back in the summertime and and everything and what effect that's had the residual effects of a few things and we're going to get into that a little bit later on but the idea is that uh, so much of what has happened in the past can often lead us to where we are and then we have a little better understanding when we're able to communicate with some of these individuals who spend a little more time analyzing some of the things that are done. We try to do a lot of things and sometimes you do a lot of things good when there are certain things that you have to do well. And, you know, so it's great to have the support that we have of guests like Ken Lewis to help join us. And of course, we're always looking for your support as well. And if you have something, some suggestions, something that you'd like to Talk about! Uh, we did recently get a letter from one of our listeners who uh, had listened to the podcast we did back on the Super Bowl coins, and I uh, had the uh, fortunate opportunity to answer that that letter here. And though we disagree on our favorite teams, we certainly had that opportunity to uh, express what we needed to express. As. Uh, us Tiger fans and now the Cardinal fans get a chance to uh, disagree over the baseball season that's happening <laughs> now. So absolutely, but we'll try to keep that to a minimum and keep our focus more on numismatics.
1: Well, you know, this is the beautiful thing about numismatics though. It really permeates every area of interest. You know, you want to talk about baseball related numismatics. There's, you know, multiple collector coins, non-circulating legal tender Showing different legends of the game. Uh, in fact, I was at a shop not too long ago in the last week or two, and I saw a medal set for Nolan Ryan. And, you know, Nolan Ryan, who's many think the design inspiration for the 1992 silver dollar for the Olympics, the baseball image that looks very much like Nolan Ryan as he appears on a 1991 Fleer baseball card. And I have some Nolan Ryan medals—one giant bronze, one and, and the similar, the same medal, but in silver. You know, there's just any any number of ways you can talk about it. There's there's NASCAR medals. There's you know, uh, I'm from St. Louis, as you may know, and I have a somewhere banging around here. I have a one ounce silver round from the Blues when they opened their facility. You know, in downtown St. Louis 20 years ago or whatever it was. Oh, the
2: one that's had 15 different names since then.
1: Yeah, Yeah, the Savas Center and the whatever. And the Keel Center. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Hey, speaking of baseball medals, though, Mm -hmm. I happen to be the underbidder at this point on an ongoing auction that one of the uh, lots contains one of your favorite baseball players, a Dizzy Dean medal. Okay. I'm the underbidder right now, and the auction ends in a couple of days. So I'm going to uh, empty the couch out and see how much more I can go. to See if I can take off that uh, that top bidder. I've got five lots working right now. I feel like I'm sitting in a boat with different poles in the water. But uh, you is know.
1: this on eBay or is where? No, is no, this? no.
2: This is on an, on an auction firm that uh, is an online auction. So this okay. is yeah. This is one. There are there are several lots, including world coin lots, that uh, none of the coins were a specific years. So I kind of had to take a back seat on that. But I've got a few other things working. So it's just, it's neat just to watch it work. I mean, I don't have the patience to sit in a boat, but I can always just sign on and off a computer anytime. But uh, when I, when I saw that, I thought of your uh, comments recently and your 17 bid on the, uh, on the uh, upcoming St. Godens. So, but uh, just know that uh, I am the underbidder, but if I end up getting it, I'm going to dangle it in front of you.
1: Okay, I I probably have it if it's a, a goldish color, about the size of a thirty a silver dollar. It's a, the Bush Stadium in 1966 when they opened did a series of medals showing Cardinals greats, Frankie Frisch and and Dean and others. They used them as stadium giveaways. You know, every different game you came to, you would get one of these, and um, so. But that's neat. It, it's a neat thing, and certainly. Uh, it belongs in St. Louis, not in Florida, perhaps. Yeah,
2: that's it. But <laughs> you know why they don't do those giveaways like you mentioned from 66 now, right? Because they're afraid that people will throw them on the field. That's why we can't get caps on bottles at certain games. There are yes. people, that, and They're afraid that people are going to throw them on the field. I'd be more than happy to stand down there and collect the ones that they throw on the field. But...
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they should hand them out at the end of the game.
2: That's true. That's very true.
1: Yep. You know, and And these things are aluminum, so... Even, you know, even if you're on the upper deck and you fling it down, it's not going to, I mean, we know from Mythbusters, it's not going to hurt anybody, <laughs> you know, to well, being, being so light. In fact, the wind's likely to just sort of buoy it and, and make it land gently, given its cheap and light makeup. But, well, you know.
2: the moral of that story is simply this. Don't be throwing metals around. Keep them. There were some. So it's yeah, just yeah. bottom line right there but I mean that's just my my little editorializing but as we talked about the sports reference here it's time to to think about that the boys of summer are out and there's going to be uh, all kinds of opportunities. We mentioned about the Super Bowl, quote unquote, coin, and it drew interest of one of our listeners. I'm glad that she sent that letter along over the weekend. And uh, getting back to what we're trying to say here, we definitely uh, we, we like to be responsive to our listeners. We'd like to answer your questions if we can to the best of our abilities. Sometimes it's not the answer you're looking for, but uh, it's the answer we can get you. Just know that we enjoy the opportunity to communicate with those who uh, who spend the time with us, and we we think you're very valuable, and we appreciate what you do.
1: I can only echo Larry's comments. The the thing about the hobby, you know, we say it every week, big tent and all that. But if you like baseball, or if somebody likes baseball, then you can share the um, the 2014 National Baseball Hall of Fame coins with them. And they don't have to be a coin collector to find something with which to connect. So there are all sorts of connection points.
2: Yeah, I think back to the uh, the basketball coins of recent, you know, the fact that we had the colorized basketball. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be a coin collector. You don't have to be a numismatist. You can just simply be a basketball fan. And that's just another way you get to get to connect with the sport and get to connect with others. So the connectivity, it's the big
1: thing. Yeah, and that sort of tees it up for me on uh, this week in numismatic history because go to a bookstore, uh, with those that still exist, and in the U.S. history section, what's going to be like one of the largest sections in the store? And it's Civil War history. The, the amount of research, the amount of books that have been published on Civil War history is enormous. And there's so many connections with the hobby, whether that's Civil War tokens, whether that's the encased stamps, the sutler tokens of of the the sutlers that traveled with the soldiers. But it's interesting to note that this week in numismatic history, on April 7th, 1879, you had the former New Orleans Mint chief coiner, Benjamin F. Taylor, explaining to the War Department Adjutant General Marcus Wright the circumstances surrounding the coining of the Confederate half dollar with the U.S. Seated Liberty obverse die. And so you talk about a great intersection of the hobby with American history. In During the war, uh, soldiers, the Confederates, took over the New Orleans Mint and they used the equipment that was left behind as the you know, U.S. Mint staff hastily departed to make coins that are, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're Confederate coins in the sense that you know they were made by Confederates and circulate and circulated in and in use in Confederate territory, even though they have US motifs. And there's there are die markers. There's there's a way that we know we can isolate which ones are among that production. So it's really cool to be able to say, look, these were made in this time period when, you know, this upheaval and, you know, we don't know the names of the men. And then, you know, I, I say men there probably weren't women involved, uh, welcome to be corrected, but, you know, most of these soldiers are probably men. It's just, you know, it stands to reason, but we don't know the names of the men that were involved in this. Um, but we can hold a link to that exact moment in history in turning point in America's history, of the civil war, we learned about that on this day, April 7th, 1879. I find it interesting to note that April 8th also offers a related note in history because it was April 8th, 1861, that Confederate authorities seized the Dahlonegam Mint. And now maybe I should have led with that as the segue into the fact that these other, but I, I think the story of those, the Seated Liberty half dollar struck. the Confederates is more tantalizing to folks because that's something that is out in the marketplace and well known. But these little two moments of history related to the Civil War happened this week. And uh, gosh, you know, what a neat alignment to be able to talk about that.
2: The Civil War has always been fascinating to me because even at an advanced age they they can't possibly teach everything in school about the Civil War. And I'm one of the ones that believe that, you know, the Civil War, yeah, it started with Fort Sumter. But what I never realized was that Fort Sumter wasn't the first act of the Confederate States of America. They actually had the secession of some of the states prior to Fort Sumter. Yep. And it was like, ah, okay, that's news to me. And, you know, April seems like such a pivotal month because, you know, April was the. Uh, in 1865 is when Lincoln was assassinated. Yep, so, yep. It goes back to a lot of things.
1: April 9th, right? I mean, April 15th, the start of the war with Sumter, April 9th, the assassination, I believe, if my memory serves. So, we're we're knee deep in uh, uh Civil War history this month of notable dates. So, that just adds to the storyline.
2: Yeah, and it goes back to what I said earlier in this is the how much of the history has an effect on the present. And uh, the different things, even now, you know, over 100, almost 160 years later, we're still talking about the Civil War because it was pivotal. And there's that word again, in a lot of the uh, things that we have to do and the, the, a lot of the ways we think about, you know, especially on the paper money side of things, and Confederate currency collectors and, and that type of stuff. Oh, okay. so, a,
1: a federal currency, federal taxes, that all came about because of the Civil War. You, you think about developments in you know, munitions and, and war gaming, you know, there's so many things that came out of that. So yeah. uh, in, in any event, that was, uh, whenever I get a chance to talk about that, I, I take the chance. And um, we jump in this week in Coin World history, we jumped much, much way into the future here, into the present time, 21 years ago, 2000, what was on the cover of the April 3rd, 2000 issue of Coin World. We chose 2000 because that was the year American Precious Metals Exchange was founded. I think the most interesting thing for collectors was the fact that you had uh, Maryland holding a s- ceremony for the state quarter in the building that was featured or is featured on the coin design, the first of more than 1 billion Maryland quarters were released. That was the seventh state quarter in the program. That was, you know, early on when there was so much enthusiasm, so much media coverage. Uh, that really did, I mean, we, we see residuals of that program today, whether that was uh, Chris Bullfinch who got into the hobby because of it and, you know, his, his own World podcast for so long. And, and you know, there's so many, so many folks in the hobby that were really started paying attention to money at that time. And so that's of note. We also see President Bill Clinton holding, incorrectly, I might add, a 1792 Birch cent because he was um, making a presentation to the National Medal of Sciences uh, award ceremony at the White House. You know, that really didn't affect collectors uh, and doesn't have the the modern cachet. So that's why, you know, I mean, I, the state quarters as as common as they are, com- certainly compared to the birch scent, uh, you know, that has uh, the, the state quarters have uh, such a, a larger impact. So speaking of impact, was there anything that uh, made an impact with you on the letters page?
2: Yeah, a couple of uh, quick letters here. One of them was called It's About Time. And it says, it's about time that the Coin Grading Service Numismatic Guarantee Corporation of America decided to publish and implement grading guidelines for coins that are possibly mid state proof or specimen 70s in grade. I wrote a letter a few months ago. The NGC gracefully responded. Now they have really substantiated what I said at the time. Some coins deserve the grade of 70, thanks to NGC for its kind consideration. So that is a satisfied customer when it comes to the grading services there. Right below it, there's one called No Response. It says, I recently submitted six coins to one of the leading grading services. They didn't identify which one. It said all coins were sealed in mint packaging when they were mailed. One coin was a 1962 quarter with a beautiful purple toning on it, on the obverse, untouched and still in mint packaging. When it was returned in the slab, a fingerprint was on a third of the coin, which was removed, which also removed the purple toning. And then the guy goes, the letter writer goes on down and talks about how he was dissatisfied with the service he got. And he uh, went back and forth with the company. And uh, he says, I would still like to know whose fingerprint is on my 62 quarter. All I wanted was an explanation. It's been weeks and I have yet to receive one. Maybe someone who reads CoinWorld could tell me. So again, it comes back to the submissions that uh, were, were getting popular after uh, about 10, 12 years of doing this now. And folks were uh, starting to send their coins in. But this is probably a rare occasion that if, in fact, somebody did uh, devalue a coin by touching it, it's unfortunate that that happened. So those those two letters right there kind of kind of stuck out because how important it is to have your coins authenticated and to have them graded. And uh, so so when you have a very positive experience where one service is listening to what you say and a negative experience where they may still be trying to figure out what happened and that's why they didn't respond. So just kind of interesting how these things can sometimes show up.
1: Imagine that, collectors uh, expressing opinions about grading. That that really segues nicely into the trivia question from last week. And I'm going to Russell up the format here. You know, last week we had a great discussion with Isaiah Hageman about the unfortunate proliferation of fake slabs and other things in that vein. So I wanted to know, and I asked Larry, I asked you, the listener, what was the first grading and or authentication service? And uh, the bonus part of the question was date of founding. So this is kind of a trick question, which is why I added the bonus, but there's also readily available information online that addresses this. So do you have any idea, Larry? Did I trip you up?
2: Not really cuz, you know, it is it's kind of common knowledge when you start looking at the history of grading and certification and, you know, sometimes the terms seem to get Almost used interchangeably when yeah. you think authentication, grading, certification. You think of all these, and and you start to wonder if you're not really familiar with the process, or not really familiar with what your you know your final goal is, your intent is. You know, it goes back a little further than and I originally thought. I mean, it goes back into years when I was still in high school, as a matter of fact. So you know, you go all the way back there when you just wanted to get in the certifications, even the grading part of it, as I recall, was in the seventies. It's just that, uh, you know, you get into, I think like Anax was among the first, if not the first. And I I think back in the seventies, late seventies, 79 maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're right there. That was, um, people know today the grading service Anax, but those initials stand for something. And what do they stand for? That's, American Numismatic Association Certification Service. This organization, now company, was actually created by the A.N.A. in 1972 to adjudicate, you know, authenticity of, of coins, and it became such an issue that Thomas Delore, who had been on Coin World staff before that, he was courted away to the A.N.A. to begin grading coins when Annex began grading coins. And that date was March 1st, 1979. So I'm going to say that you got one and a half points because you got the first part right. And then you got the right year. You didn't give the, the month or all that, but Hey, that's, you know, that's pretty good, pretty good guess on your part. It just speaks to, you know, we know 1986 was the bellwether year, but, this has roots even earlier than that. Why was that? Well, you know, certification was needed because there were a lot of counterfeits coming out of the Middle East and elsewhere. You know, it was, it was just a problem in search of a solution and what we know of as today's market-based solution took a while to get there. And there were some iterations in between and some companies that formed and folded and, you know, have only, been remembered in the side of the numismatic road, if you will, because of slabs and advertisements and other things uh, that are hard to find or or piece together. But uh, it all started back in the 1970s, and and like you say, grading a component of grading 1979. So, so now, very good.
2: Now, before you put me on the spot again, I wanted to talk a little bit about this book that I picked up and had been reading, and it was interesting because we had both the situation with former President Clinton handling the birch scent like he did, and then we had the letter about the 62 quarter that had the (laughs) fingerprint on it. I'm reading a book called Coin Chemistry. Ah. And it's an interesting book. And number one, it's interesting in the way it's written. I like the idea that there is on page two how to read the book, because if your interest is different, you can read this book in different ways. But the subtitle, including preservation and cleaning, because one of the things, again, a little less than a year ago, do I clean the coin? How do you clean the coin? What can you clean the coin? And the grading services will notice that if a coin is cleaned and they'll mar- mark it accordingly on the label here. So understanding the coins and uh, the different compositions, the coin chemistry, uh, Waymer uh, White is the the writer of this book. And it's broken down and includes a lot of articles from periodicals such as Coin World. So, again, you know, the, the answer, the question is never going to be clearly answered to the minds of some people, whether you should clean a coin or not. There's the camp that says don't. There's a camp that says do it, but do it carefully. There's a camp that says, you know, you only use these products. There's a camp that says only do it on certain compositions, silver versus gold versus copper, that type of thing. So that's going to rage on forever and ever. One book is not going to stop that. But for me to get some understanding and some better view on it, this coin chemistry book has been very helpful so far. And I'm not completely done with it, but I'm still learning a lot.
1: Great, yeah, that is that is a great book, and and if uh, Weimar White is out there listening, please contact us. I would I would love to talk to you about it because and I'm, I'm sure Larry would as well. I mean, this now, is yeah. you know this is such an important area, and the short definition or description is: don't clean a coin except when it's okay, except using the right methods. Except there's always exceptions, but for those who aren't familiar with the hobby the answer is always don't clean the coin for those who have some rudimentary knowledge then you can introduce that well you know there are some times where some market appropriate and recognized uh solutions exist uh you know there's the ncs you know we you mentioned ngc earlier and ncs the the sister company to ngc you know does the conservation services it's nothing different than having a painting conserved How many times have we seen news stories of people who were brought in to improve paintings uh, in Europe and and they made them look atrocious? You know, the same thing can happen with coins. You know, you do it the right way and uh, you can remove substances without uh, interacting with the surface of the coin. But there are so many solutions. And I say solution in the scientific sense, not the, oh, this problem has a solution. But there are so many liquids, so many things that, can interact with the surface if you don't use the right thing. So it's such a thorny issue and and will remain so. But uh, in any event, this week's question, we're talking bullion uh, with Ken Lewis. So we've got a bullion-related question. It's only appropriate. Uh, No surprise there. We all know that the American Eagle was the U.S. first bullion coin in 1986. That was both for gold and silver. What were the bullion coin mintages, though, for the silver and gold versions? Not the proof versions that were sold to collectors at a higher price, Mm. just the the bullion versions. And, uh, you know, so I'm looking for two numbers here. And I'm going to say you can round up to, you know, the nearest hundred thousand. So, you know, you can say twenty five point four million. Not that that's the number. So 25.4 million silver and 10.9 million gold. Give me some numbers in that way, and and we'll see. You know, we'll see what what you know, and and how how close you got to the actual number.
2: Okay, so you're making me do what Britain did 50 years ago. You're making me decimalize. Okay, I got that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, yeah I got to decimalize. Okay. Yeah, I know you're big on these minage questions for me because you like to see me, you know, all over the target. So, all right, fine. Well,
1: you know, what else am I going to, you know, I, I guess I could have said who's the designer, but that—that's. I think those are easier questions. Much is...
2: easier, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I'll take on the challenge, yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, bonus question is who designed the obverse and the reverse, so. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> but, but
1: you can at least chalk up an easy point or two for, for those answers.
2: But yeah. All
1: right. anyway, so think about that as, as you listen to this interview. We had a great time. We learned a lot as usual. Uh, hopefully it gives you some food for thought. Here is our interview with Ken Lewis of American Precious Metals Exchange. We are delighted today on the CoinWorld podcast to be joined by Ken Lewis, the CEO of American Precious Metals Exchange. That's the bullion company that a lot of collectors refer to as APMEX. Thank you for reaching out about joining us on the podcast and being here today.
3: Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Hopefully your uh, listeners will get uh, some good insights here on apmex.
1: And you certainly bring a wealth of information. You've been with the firm going on 10 years now, it sounds like. You started out in an executive vice president role. Then you shifted over to chief operating officer and more recently have been the CEO. Let's talk about the last year because we've seen unprecedented uncertainty, stress, fear as people around the globe grapple with the coronavirus pandemic. That's driven your business to new highlands. Heights, yes.
3: Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, I I think really anyone in the belief of space is probably seeing just exploding growth, um, and we're no different. You know, I look back, and we're talking about doubling the business or more, depending upon the year you compare to, and it's been really good. I, I would also say 21's off to just uh, frankly a stronger start than even 2020 was, and and we're seeing differences in customer behavior. We're seeing different types of customers coming into the market, which really excites us because I think that's the future and getting younger investors in and investors that are more knowledgeable is going to be great for industry long term.
1: You've doubled business from 2019
3: yeah. to 2020. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, double the business. And I think you could actually go back and look at it in some ways. It was actually more than double depending upon the product types and, and the areas that we specialize in. For example, right. our, our collectibles business, everyone thinks the bullion business is booming, our collectible business is done just just as well, if not actually better. Um, but some of that's more how we operate and where we've exploded our, our SKU count to support that business as well, not just the bullion business.
2: Well, I think this would be a good time to interject here as well so that those who may not be familiar with what AppMEX does, could you give us a little insight into all the, uh, all the programs that are offered?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, we try to listen to our customers and, and, and understand what they're looking for. You know, Amex has been around 20 years and and we've kind of evolved. You know, at one point we were we had a very broad assortment narrowed it. Now, today, we're, we're really back into a few areas. We've we, always been a major player in the bullion space where the only retailer, true uh, retailer, pure retailer, I should say, that is an AP of the U.S. Mint. And so the fact that we're able to buy directly from the U.S. Mint and not through wholesalers is a big competitive advantage for us. And we buy from every other mint around the world directly as well. So that's that's always been a, a mainstay for us and something we think makes us a little unique and that we can have direct relationships across the board. But also, what's unique about our company is I've got no less than 30, 35 people uh, in our numismatic space that really specializes in bringing just a range of different products. We tend to call it vintage products around here, but kind of the products that are a little bit more hard to find, unique, things that you typically only find on an eBay potentially or at an auction site. Uh, we try to bring that to, to our site as well. So today I've got 30,000 live products on my website. A traditional competitor might have two to 3,000 products as an example. And then the final thing we did for, for those that are very comfortable in the digital space, we launched a product called One Gold uh, about two years ago where people can take a pool position in metal. They have title and uh, they can take physical at any moment's notice if they want to. That gives them a lower entry point into precious metals, which that's been a big winner for us as well. So we're trying to really cater to all audiences, right? The bullion buyer, the collector, the person who's digitally savvy. We really want to cater to, to, to really all potential investors out there.
1: That's fantastic that, you know, you are the elephant in the room or the gorilla in the, in the industry. Everybody <laughs> knows of you and, you know, people see the listings on eBay and, and see your website. I'm curious though about... The twenty twenty effect, you know, coupled with the pandemic, was the suspense yeah. and the acrimony of a presidential election year. How does that affect precious metal demand in normal times? And how did you see this play out compared to expectations, you know, before the onset of the pandemic?
3: Yeah, but look, the pandemic definitely pushed me, you know, and we saw what the equities markets did, and and it really made people think twice about being in safe haven investments like gold and silver um and as many people know gold and silver actually they retreated pretty dramatically right when the equities markets for the pandemic really started to take shape the reason why they reduced the price was because people were selling their metals to cover their margin calls and an exposure they had in the equities market which is exactly what a safe haven investment's meant to do right It's there for the rainy day if you will but when you look at the performance of the asset class you know we like to tell people we don't give financial advice but we just say do your research and. I think more knowledge is out there today than ever before. I mean, people don't realize a lot of times that, you know, gold is the second best performing asset class since the year 2000, just behind real estate. Far outperforms the S&P. And people don't realize that. They just think about it as a safe haven investment, but it's actually been a very well-performing asset class as well, as we saw in 2020. It performed very, very well. Um, so, you know, I think what's happening is, is in our opinion, is, the number of new customers coming into space is really what has blown us away. It's it's just exceptional. You know, I'm not going to quote specific numbers, but I can tell you my new customer growth numbers were more than 2x last year. And when I look at the first three months of year, this year, I'm almost half of what I did last year. So it's really exciting to see newbies come in and evaluate metals as an option in volatile times like a pandemic or Better yet, as you mentioned, the presidential election and just where our country's going, it's unfortunate our country had to do this in some ways to print money like they did to be able to stimulate the economy. But long term, that tends to be positive um, for things like precious metals. and I think consumers are recognizing that.
2: Well, when you say that uh, you have this influx of new, new customers, and previously you said that the informed customer is the one that really is the one that can benefit from this, are yeah. you finding that the new customers have a base of information when they show up, or are they still operating under uh, premises that may not be true?
3: I think to a certain degree they're more educated. I, I think uh, the younger crowd with the Internet and, and videos and podcasts and things like that, they've been able to become more educated. And, and they're more savvy. And when I say more savvy, I don't mean that in a negative to customers who were with us pre this. Um, I just say that in terms of, I think more consumers are taking control of their investments than ever before. Where in the past, they would just let their broker do it or, or they put on a robotic investment strategy and they really wouldn't get involved. And I think in the last year, people really have taken a more hands-on approach to their investments and as a part of that, they've become educated to know kind of what their options are and where to and where to put their investments. So I do think they're more educated now. I will tell you, precious metals is still a complicated space. We were just talking about this as a team yesterday. And you, know, you come to our website with thirty thousand products. What do I buy? You know, it's it's complicated. And we're trying to demystify that. We're trying to make that easier and easier for consumers, where they can understand things like spot and premium and spreads and you know what's a coin versus a round and a bar and. We're trying to make it easier, but there's still some complexity in our space that um, is challenging. But again, people are becoming more educated. And I think they're starting to get over the hump.
1: It's almost as if you're reading my mind because, you know, I wanted to address something. You talked about, you know, the onset of the pandemic a little more than a year ago and, and how the market diverged and all that reacted. And, and I want to go back there because this demand has seen the spot and retail prices of some coins really, really consciously uncoupled to use a term. You know, you had enormous <laughs> spikes in premiums last yeah. April and, and more recently there was, there was a, a much narrower gap in between there. How do you explain yeah. that to the, the consumer, the new person yeah. who sees the published market price so low but then you know they go. But wait a minute, I I mean I walked into a shop and and seen a one ounce silver generic world silver selling for twelve over spot. You know, and yeah. and they go, but yeah. but spot says it's X. How do you educate them? How do you bring them into the fold without turning them off because of those dynamics, which which are fluid.
3: Sure, sure. No, and, and as you know, look, we have some very educated buyers that have been with us for 10, 15 years. been buying from Admax. A lot of loyalty out there to our brand. And they see the premiums and it makes them nervous. But I think a lot of people recognize you're not buying for the short term anyway. You're, you're not buying for a 5% return. You're, you're buying for other reasons. You're buying for diversification. You're buying by having a physical asset in your hand that has certain levels of comfort to come with that. Um, you know, you're buying because, you know, honestly, you see the opportunity for growth in, in the space. But to your point, premiums are still, they're levels that we've never seen. And even today they are. I can't remember the last time we charged north of $150 for a Gold Eagle. It just, it's, it's ridiculous. But what I would tell people is the supply is the driver of that. It is still very difficult, even to this day. Look, we're sitting here on March 31st. I was looking at competitor websites last night. Try to find production silver in stock at a leading retailer right now. You're going to have a hard time doing it. And the reason why that is demand is so high, and that's driving premiums up because we can't get the inventory to meet the demand right now. And this association or detachment, if you will, um, of premiums from spot, it does make people have to evaluate, is it the right time to get in? And, I, and again, I think you have to have your right reasons to want to buy at these higher premiums. Um, some people feel like an ETF's uh, a route to go, but, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot of people out there that will claim that is metal really backing that ETF. They're going to bleed you on the annual cost, you know, management fees, this, that. And so there's even challenges with other opportunities to get into metals. Um, or do I buy a mining stock? Well, is the performance really going to tie to what metals are doing or is it now how the companies run? So I don't know that there's really any perfect answer out there. Uh, it is worth it, by the way, the digital products do well um, right now because their premiums are, you know, 80 percent less than a physical premium. Um, but you can always convert to physical at some point when premiums come back down. So it is a nice option for some people who are still scared about the premiums. They can get into metal at a pretty low cost and they convert to physical when premiums come back down.
1: Yeah. I like that you referenced, you know, long term buy and hold and all that because Atmex's slogans is investments you hold, which of course, you know, has a double meaning, buy and hold right. for the long term, but also things that you can hold in your hand. But that begs a right. question. Do you own any Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, any of the other numerous digital currencies?
3: Yeah, me personally I have I have some exposure to it, not a significant amount of exposure. Like I, I have to be careful. Uh, I, I believe stablecoins specifically and even Ethereum and some of the ecosystems that are being built out with crypto are very positive for our country long term. And I think the banking system needs to be on alert. I really am excited about that, but I still struggle a little bit other than a stablecoin and a stablecoin run by a very reputable firm, which is also very important to me. It, I struggle with the intrinsic value What's driving the price of the crypto. and and, and that's what where I kind of have a little bit of pause. I'd be silly. I mean, I'll, I own not massive numbers, but you know, I'm sub $10,000 into Bitcoin specifically. But that's a small investment for me. But I want to be exposed to it because I see the opportunity for it to grow potentially long-term. But again, I struggle. I could see Bitcoin just as quickly going from 58000 to $29,000 in, in a moment's notice. It's just yeah. very unpredictable. The fact that it doesn't really have I call it intrinsic value. It's not, it's not pegged to anything that we can actually go out and quantify, analyze, You know, research. You, you can't do that where products like gold and silver, there's history on our side, right? We know how it performs when inflation happens. We know how it performs with interest rates. We know how it performs when the country prints money. It gives you an idea to be able to predict your future when you make an investment there. Really hard to do right now in crypto, but still exciting for what it's going to be, I think, one day. And look, there is still a regulatory issue with crypto that I know everyone's aware of. They really need to solve at some point because I don't know about you guys, but I just get nervous about making sure I'm not going to have the government knocking on my door, you know, because I did something maybe I wasn't supposed to do. And even, even though I didn't do anything wrong, it just lacks structure. It could be the, the third party. And, you know, the last thing I say on that, and I have talked about this a lot with different people and there are stable coins that are backed by gold. Eighty percent of those stable coins backed by gold failed. They failed because the goal was never there. And so you really have to be careful when you get into cryptos and, and be very, very careful about who you're partnering with and making sure the assets truly there and that your money's just not going to disappear.
1: That money that's chasing the digital, you know, the crypto stuff has really I mean, I, I've heard that it the spot price of gold was essentially depressed to $500 an ounce because of people voting with their dollars the enthusiasm for bitcoin yeah. what what role yeah. if any you know has that played in in minimizing demand and thus the price for gold and and how does that play out
3: i don't agree with those assessments and and look i, I think there's room for both assets if you want to call crypto an asset Has it hurt the price of gold? Maybe potentially you could debate that a little bit because what drives the price of gold? Retail investment demand is only a small fraction of the overall consumption of gold and silver. It's driven by so many other vehicles out there than than retail consumers. I mean, just look at silver. I think 50 plus percent of silver is is industrial use. So when, you know, why did silver go up in price so dramatically in the last year? when one would argue the GDPs have been stunted over the last year. Well, it did that for people perspective to the future, right? And and seeing mining, mining going down and and it being mined at its lowest level in 10 plus years, you see it because of excitement for, you know, electric vehicles and other things that are going to consume silver over the long term. That's what drives the price. I don't think it's about retail investors getting in there and as we'll call it squeezing. I think we know about the silver squeeze moment. It's very, very difficult. (laughs) You are reading
1: my mind. (laughs)
3: squeeze and drive the price up it's it's it it can be done over a six 12 month period but it can't be done over a two or three week period or a two month period even and so i think there's room for both i think crypto's here to stay and i'd I'd be silly not to say that but i also think gold and silver has got uh it's been put up on a on a pedestal now that it never really had seen in many many years and i think it's here to stay they just think about this my demand levels are I look at my demand levels last three months, and it just blows me away what we're doing volume wise. Gosh, can you imagine what numbers would look like if if people claim that Bitcoin is taking demand away? I can I can't fathom mm. what we'd be doing right now. Yeah. Um, and I will tell you this: there wouldn't be any metal to sell because I barely have metal to sell today in certain forms. Can you imagine if demand was fifty percent higher, thirty percent higher? I don't. I, can, I just can't fathom that right now.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the silver squeeze, though, because I I was thinking about the Wall Street bets thing and the silver squeeze and all that. And, you know, that I had folks that I've not communicated with about precious metals. And they're asking me, Hey, wait a minute. Should I get in on this? What do you know about this? So you yeah. you talked about a lot of new customers coming in, but yeah. those new customers were coming in before this thing. Right. And then yeah. where is the demand coming from? And is, is the silver squeeze even increasing that number of new folks? And what are you doing yeah. then to convert those folks into return customers, and I always call bullion the gateway drug to the broader hobby, then how do you take those folks and get them to the the other side of things?
3: Look, our our view or my view is this, and and the data doesn't lie. 2020 customers that came in, their buying patterns have actually been stronger than historically we've added a customer at. So we we look at what the lifetime value of a customer is and what revenue and and purchasing they do over their lifetime, and, and we're seeing the behaviors of 2020 customers uh, frankly, being healthier than customers we added in 19, 18, 17. So those customers, it's been very encouraging, by the way, because we honestly didn't know if that was going to be the case. And the data has proven out that those have been great customers for us. In 2021, you, mean, you know, we talked about silver squeeze, and we had a surge where literally in three days, I sold more silver than I sold the entire month of December. Those customers are not coming back and buying at the levels like we saw in 2020. We recognize that those people might have been tracing the the news, if you will, and they were into it just for a brief time, and they're really not committed to the asset class per se. I am a big believer in some of the things Wall Street bets are doing and others because I think they are bringing up some of the virtues of why you'd want to own precious metals and why it should be a higher price and and what's going on in our markets. Look, I look at what the the comics did to margins um, and and the requirement for us to have a higher amount of, of dollars on margin for our future contracts how they did that in, literally in a moment's notice and my, had to put millions of dollars back into the into the exchange to cover, to cover futures. Um, the fact that they can do that on a moment's notice and push down and stunt the price of silver when they did that tells you there's still some opportunities out there to be more of a free market and let silver price really move the way it should. So I do think that kind of education, that kind of visibility, I think is going to be great long-term. It's going to make the big banks think twice about how they're, how they're conducting business. It's going to make the comics and other things think a little bit more about what they're doing when it comes to things like margins and how they regulate the trading of futures. So I'm hopeful that the the transparency is going to help the market long-term and only bring more consumers in as investors.
1: So I come from this from a, coin background a numismatic background and i'm not a a gold bug or a silver stacker i mean i have a little this a little that whatever i see it i like it i can afford it but one thing that that always sort of vexes me is you know, all these experts, you know, Maloney or some of these other, you know, you could list a dozen names of folks who've made careers out of, uh, you know, promoting precious metals of various forms. You know, it's always the right time to buy. I never hear somebody say, you know, well, I hold off, you know, we think these fundamentals are, are going to support a retraction or this or that. So, you know, I would wait. So when is the wrong time to buy and when is the right time to buy
3: My personal opinion, you're going to have a retailer of precious metals so keep that in the back of your mind. So you have to take my input with a grain of salt here. I think precious metals investment is a diversification strategy. That's how I view it. I don't view, I I think if you try to time it and pick the right times to get in and get out, you're, you're making a mistake. I think it should be a part of a broader portfolio strategy and you need to have some exposure to it at all times. Now, Wendy, should you increase and decrease that, and, and maybe go to ten percent from five percent, and five? You know, when should you move the percentages around a little bit? I think it comes down to some of the fundamentals. You know, right now, again, just look at the data. Inflation is is moving in a direction. Depending on you talk to, some people will say they think inflation is going to be north of two percent here before the year's out. Others say, oh no, no, that's not going to happen. We're going to be good to go. We're we're not going to we're not going to see that. This is going to cause it not to go up. Blah blah blah. But conceptually, if you just think about the amount of debt we printed, inflation generally got to go up at some point. It has to. It's just got to happen. And then what does the Fed do? Do they raise rates? Do they not raise rates? How do they combat inflation then taking over and then killing jobs and this and that? So, so I think in general, the uncertainty, which is generally good for precious metals, it's not a bad time to be in metals. Now, I think the premium play you talked about earlier, you got to be careful on what you're buying and when you're buying and watching those, those premiums you do need to be a little careful there and, and try to time that the best you think you can. But in the long run, I think it's a diversification strategy. So call me more like maybe the guys you, you just mentioned, I don't think you try to time the market in metals. And you know what, if it goes to if it goes to $1,200 gold and you have equities as a percentage of your investment, you have real estate and you have these other things, you're still going to be happy because you know, you're going to see the gold go down in your portfolio, but you're going to see your equities probably going to skyrocket up. And, and that's the way I kind of view it. Look, when, when equities were dying there for earlier this, last year, and you were holding gold, you were feeling pretty good about holding gold at that time. If you try to time it and flip the gold out and go buy equities, you would have you would have made a mistake. You would have not been able to time that right nine, nine times out of ten. We're not all professional investors necessarily. We don't we don't know exactly what's going to happen in the markets. We can't predict it. So I would take a diversification strategy It's the quick answer I'd give you on that. Fair enough.
2: Now, just one quick question here, and uh, you basically covered a lot. When we talked earlier about the fact that it was a presidential election in 2020 and the Wall Street bets, and I just wonder what kind of an impact the news media has in their reporting structure that would affect um, anybody who's sitting here wondering what to do.
3: Again, I like to think that, well, there's a lot of fake news out there. We all see it, and, and it's frustrating. You saw a lot of that the election. What I'm hopeful of, though, and I really am hopeful for our industry, is the more people talk about gold and silver, I think the better long-term the asset class is going to be. Um, it's misunderstood. Um, when I claim things like you know second best performing asset class since the 2020 or since 2000, that's that's incredible. Most people don't know that. They need to be educated about that. Um, or diversification and how it can impact your your overall strategy from a diversification standpoint. Or inflation and the fact that since 1990, you've lost 50% of your, your dollar's value, uh, where gold has gone up 6x. I mean, you know, these kind of things, I think, over the long term are really going to help. Because people always thought about as gold and silver is only the 65-year-old guy, 55-year-old guy who's buying it kind of to protect his worth, if you will. I'm hopeful that over the long term, with more news publications, with more talk out there, with more critique, with more debate, I think it's going to help precious metals long-term become more uh, of a standard investment for people where, you know, you don't have to be 55 or 60 years old to buy gold and silver. You can be a, I, I tell a story, I got a 22 year old son. Now I'm in the gold and silver business, but he tells me how him and his buddies are sitting here thinking about how to invest at 22 and they're carving out a spot with gold and silver in it. I could not imagine that two years ago, that kids at that age would be talking about gold and silver. So I think the press is really going to help long-term. Just put gold and silver more on a pedestal that people can talk about and debate. Is it right for you? It depends, right? You got to answer a whole bunch of questions of whether you should be in it or not in it, but the press is going to help us, I think, long-term. Uh, I would say one thing about the election though, real quick, since I, I don't think I really ever answered that directly. When Trump went into office, you know, four years ago, we thought that was going to be gangbusters for precious metals. Why? Because he's, he's a little volatile, right? He's a little unpredictable. And generally unpredictability out of a, senior leader like a president of the country is good for precious metals normally the reality was it was the exact opposite he was terrible for precious metals by the way terrible right for his whole four years in except for the last 2020 and i would say the pandemic more than trump really was bad for precious metals it was you know the republicans went into equities in a big big way and we really didn't see the demand in precious metals like we had thought was going to happen but now with a democrat in office history is now repeating itself traditionally when a Democrat's in office. You tend to see higher taxes. You tend to see maybe more government programs. What we're going to announce a big uh, infrastructure thing today. Right. Two billion dollars to build roads and bridges. And well, that's meant to stimulate the economy. And Who's going to pay for that? We'll have to see. Right. Normally, a Democrat in office is good for precious metals. And I don't think you're seeing I think you're seeing the demand in 21 is a direct relationship with Biden in office and Democrats uh, now controlling the, the House and the Senate.
1: Yeah, that's um curious sort of uh, alignment, but especially when you consider there's a lot of folks who are concerned long-term uh, about things. You know, I, I guess the, the overall takeaway is um, – diversification. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, everybody knows not to have all their eggs in one basket. I I do want (laughs) to know, uh, as, as we wrap this up again, to respect your time and, you know, the listeners time, there's the American Eagle, Silver Eagle, gold, you know, there's multiple versions of that. There's the Maple Leaf, there's the Panda, there's all, you know, the Libertad. Do you have a favorite? What's your favorite program from the U S or around the world?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's funny you brought up Libertad. I think you got to decide what you're investing, what's driving, why you're investing. I think it was Jeff that mentioned uh, he's a collector more than he was really a bullion right? And I think some coins have a chance to be more valuable because uh, they're more collectible in the long term than than others. Right. A Libertad is a fantastic example of that you'd love to have 2020 Libertads in your portfolio right now, because I think it was the lowest minute year in. I don't know, something like twenty years or something like that. But with that said, uh, the go-to coin for me and for most investors is is the silver eagle or the gold eagle, mainly because the U.S. government's backing it. It's going to always be something you can trade. It's going to always be something you can get liquidated very easily. It doesn't take a certain type of buyer to sell it to, and and it's predictable, right? In general, yeah. um, I would say though, at the premiums we're at right now, many many investors are migrating into traditional bullion like silver rounds and. And silver bars just because the premiums are a little more in line compared to where the eagles are at right now I mean, you're paying over ten dollars an ounce right now for a silver eagle which is incredible but there's a reason why you can't the the u.s mint is is on allocation has been on allocation and we know and you can quote me on this one we know we're going to run out of silver eagles more than likely before the new replacements coming out in july we know we're going to run out so you're going to see higher premiums right now for that product than you normally would see. So, so I think uh, the Eagle uh, and then traditional rounds and bars, I think, are the, really the way to go right now. But if you can find an opportunity on a, on a bullion coin, a sovereign government coin that maybe potentially doesn't going gonna, gonna to have the massive minages that sometimes you see out there, I think it's a great, great opportunity to see premium increase. Yeah. Um, more than even the metal value might increase over time.
1: A couple of my favorites are the uh, Noah's Ark, uh, Geiger Oh yeah,
3: um, Geiger uh, coins are great
1: Armenia and um, the uh, the St. George and the Dragon coin from Russia because you don't see that over here in the U.S. often but yep. at yep. the World Money Fair in Berlin I've picked up a few examples. Of course I, I see all the yep. the parade, the phalanx of Atmex officials at the <laughs> going to their meetings <laughs> there but um, <laughs> a couple other thoughts I wanted to touch on. You know I, I want to pivot back to this you talk about your son and he's younger and how is this you know the fact that people younger are, are looking at precious metals now going to affect demand and all that uh, you know we see a lot of activity driven by social media and right. you know there's a lot of competition for atmex on social media there's also a lot of opportunities how big is that you know because you know Larry used the term media, but you know, I want to. Social media is part of media. You know, how big is that to the industry's growth and Atmax's growth?
3: We've always had a a presence in social media. Uh, Matter of fact, actually, we have an open position right now. If anyone's interested, uh, we're trying to hire a a replacement in social media slash PR. I think what really hit my radar was was the Wall Street bets and and Twitter followings and. In the YouTube videos, this past these past few months, uh, it really it really brought some visibility to me that I, I just hadn't seen precious metals get discussed to that level in, in those types of forums uh, at the levels it was. And so, um, I think it just shows you, you know, when, you know as they say, when you get Bob go viral or you get a topic that really gets a mass following, um, it's just incredible what power that can have in the market we are a big believer in, like, our brand is very important to us. Um, We want to be known as high quality, high customer service, take care of the customer type. We're not known as a low price guy, that we're never going to be the low price guy because the investments we make in our business are so unique and so different. Um, So it's important for us to protect our brand and, and promote our brand in a way where you know who you're doing business with. You know you can have someone you can trust. And to me, that's the most important part about social media and and, and getting the word out is is to kind of remind people what our brand stands for why we've been in business as long as we have and and uh and how we're here to take care of any of your needs and we're not here to bait and switch you we're not here to take advantage of anybody we're here to educate you in and i think that's important i think social media is a great vehicle to do that the negative on social media though and, and we've dealt with this is you know when premiums go through the roof everyone goes oh atmex is just getting rich over there well The reality is our premiums are competitive. The market's gone crazy. The the supply is not there. And that's the only negative is sometimes we get some negative following just because of what the markets are doing. And and that's frustrating, but there's really not much we can do about it other than educate consumers. It's why I do podcasts and things like this, just to kind of hopefully get the word out and and provide some transparency. But, um, yeah, I think social media is great to promote your brand and remind consumers what you stand for and, and really engage with your customers more directly. Uh, we've gotten very good
1: at that as well. Yeah. You, you've been candid and, and that's good, uh, necessary. You know, you talk about, you know, Atmex is not the volume or sorry, the value player, uh, but right. you know, your are you're guaranteed authenticity, which is a huge factor. You know, you can't talk about precious metals today without addressing the, the scourge of counterfeit. You know, what is Atmex doing to thwart that and certainly, um, how important is that going forward? I mean, I was at a shop yesterday on, the way, on my drive back from North Carolina, and the guy grabbed four quart Ziploc bags full of fakes, and these are just the ones that he's gotten since he shipped a box off to the Secret Service a couple months
3: ago. <laughs> wow. Well, look, what we do is, is, from our standpoint, any product bought in the secondary markets, not directly from a, a mint, if you will, is scanned with Sigma Sigmascope or an XRF machine within our receiving operation. And and when I say every ounce, I mean every ounce. So every ounce of silver, every single one of those is scanned. We can't afford to have uh, counterfeits get out. And I also want to remind you, not just because you scan it for metal content, the most common thing you see nowadays is you're seeing more of is it's actually real metal, but they're counterfeiting it because, you know, a sovereign can, can command a premium or you know, things like that. And so we have to We have to also have numismatists who are trained to be able to evaluate the coin and make sure it's not just a copy, it's truly authentic. So we, we do both things. We scan for metal, and we also uh, have numismatists look at certain products uh, to protect us against, you know, uh, people putting out things that might have a higher premium. So it's important to us. We take it very seriously. For your brand, the worst thing you could ever have is to have a counterfeit come out from your brand, it would be, it would be it'd be, it be terrible, terrible, terrible thing to happen. So we try to take all the precautions on the front end. And, and I, and I'm pretty confident that we're unique in some of these ways too. When, when we talk about not being a value play, it's because we do what I just described It's because we scanned every piece of metal yeah. um, in the process It's because we, you know, answer the phones when you call it and we staff up accordingly to make that a reality for you. You know, we ship 85% of our orders that come in from 4 PM earlier the same day. And we're the only retailer in the market that guarantees same-day shipment, uh, or excuse me, next-day shipment on all orders, or we'll give you $10. So it's about that service and being able to talk to somebody and knowing they're taking the steps to deal with counterfeits, to deal with lost packages. I mean, fraud in the transportation network is probably the biggest hurdle for me right now than counterfeit coins, just because there's a lot of unsavory characters out there uh, when when it comes to moving packages to a consumer we handle that very well as a retailer and really try to stay in connection with, you know, investigators, with the police, with our freight carriers to try to minimize fraud in the carrier network.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to let that stand as the last word because we've taken more (laughs) time than we anticipated. And, uh, you know, we covered a lot of ground and got uh, some good comments and good insight and uh, we do appreciate your time. And I think, the listener will find value in it and uh, certainly uh, find value in precious metals for a component of their investment strategy. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah,
3: Yeah. thanks for the time. And look, uh, challenge me on the transparency. If there's any questions uh, that your listeners have, do not mind uh, getting back to you. You can always email me at kenneth.lewis at atmex.com. Uh, We're here to serve our customers and take care of you and and get you through the decision-making process. So never hesitate. I I get LinkedIn notes all the time when an issue happens and we have no problem trying to step up and and win back your support when, uh, when we do make a mistake. So do not hesitate to reach out. We're here to support you.
1: Thanks again. That's great. We appreciate that nod to the listeners and to the marketplace. So that was our interview with Ken Lewis of American Precious Metals Exchange whose golden outlook on bullion was uh, interesting and, and insightful. And, you know, we recognize he has a vested interest and we think we, you know, held his feet to the fire in that regard as, you know, hey, you know, you're not necessarily an unbiased source, but certainly brought a lot of good information for us to think about as collectors, as silver stackers, whatever whatever uh, vein, pun intended, you you like to, Uh, find yourself in in this wonderful hobby.
2: You know honestly in full disclosure I was a customer of the company back around the holidays when they had a product offering on the retail side that I was able to acquire to give as a gift for a family member so I had a little bit of knowledge about what they offer there but the the extent of the, uh, the product offerings was just absolutely staggering there and so it's something that's interesting. You think of them as a you know a big dollar company there, but there there are affordable options for somebody looking for something in there. And I, I think Ken said that very clearly in what he was trying to accomplish. They're not trying to be all things to all people, but they do try to specialize in in things that are of value. So I like their slogan. I love their slogan.
1: Yeah. So if you find this show of value, you don't have to pay for it. Uh, That's because of amosadvantage.com and certainly any other sponsors that want to come on board. Uh, We thank you for subscribing, sharing it with your friends, neighbors, relatives, enemies, all of the above. Uh, That way we can come back week after week with this fun little time. But until next
0: week, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Would you like to sponsor the Coin World Podcast? If so, contact your Coin World sales representative or email Brian Hertel at B H E R T E L at AmosMedia.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Affordable rates and multi episode discounts are available. Contact us today to sponsor the CoinWorld Podcast.